0: Thank you all for leading us in that. If you have your uh, Bible or if you have the scripture handout in the worship bulletin, uh, take a look at Psalm 80 tonight. That's where we want to look. Uh, again, like I said at the beginning, we're, we're hitting pause for at least tonight on the First John series in order to address something that's going on in the life of our church. Uh, we lost a dear friend and church member earlier in the week. And I know I wanted to turn here because this is what I needed at least to hear, and hopefully the things that I heard from the Lord in Psalm 80 will help you uh, this evening, whether you're here or whether you're watching in online. So let me read to you Psalm 80. There's wonderful, uh, a wonderful path laid out here for us to go to God in our grief. It says, "'Hear us, shepherd of Israel, uh, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who sit enthroned between the cherubim or the angels, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears, you have made them drink tears by the bowl full. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies. Mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it. And it took root and it filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass by pick its grapes. Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see, watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the son you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us. Lord God Almighty, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. This is God's word. Well, the the Psalms are a a wonderful place to turn when you're struggling with any emotion. Uh, One old writer said about the Psalms that they are an anatomy of the human soul. An anatomy of the human soul, meaning they map out nearly every single emotion that you can imagine ever having as a human being. A map out what to do with that emotion. I know I've been reading the Psalms for a lot of my life, most of my life, and I've never met an emotion that I've ever had that is not somewhere expressed in one of the prayers or songs in this book. God gives us here an honest guide. I think that's probably the best way to say it. It's an honest guide. First of all, it's honest. You know, it doesn't fall into the the normal trap that sometimes in church we fall into when it comes to our emotions. You know the the church trap, the the trap of religiosity. Uh, We're too spiritual to have emotions. Sometimes we feel. We can't really show what we really think to the Lord. We have to put on our church face and church it up when we pray and make sure it's, 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 it's fancy and all that. The Psalms don't do that. The emotions of the Psalms are very, very honest and very, very raw, no matter what emotion you're dealing with. But at the same time, they're an honest guide, you know. The Psalms help us not fall into another trap we tend to fall into, and this is one that is everywhere in our culture trying to Convince us that this is the way we should go. That's the trap of just giving in to my emotions. Just overly identifying myself with my emotions. You are what you feel. And if you feel it, that must be who you are, and therefore you can't do anything about it. You just got to let it ride, right? You got to ride wherever that emotion takes you. I heard another pastor recently who said something very important uh, based on this that I, I want to share with you tonight. It doesn't tell us in the Psalms to stuff our emotions, he said. It also doesn't tell us just to ride with them wherever they lead us. Instead, it tells us how to pray through our emotions. To pray through our emotions. To take whatever emotion we have to bring it to God, and what prayer is, is basically an unbundling of all the things on our hearts and spreading them out before the Lord and asking Him to show us, Lord, what should we do with this that we feel? This is an honest guide. And here's Psalm 80, is one of the many psalms. In fact, I'm struck every time I think about the different kinds of psalms there are, I'm struck by how many of them deal with grief. I know it's not a comfortable subject to talk about, but but honestly, most of the Psalms, the majority of them deal with the emotion of grief. That tells us a few things, I mean, one main thing it tells us is we ought to expect it. We ought to expect tears and pain and suffering in life, life is not, we're not being honest with ourselves if we don't think those things are going to come. But here, beautiful thing about the Psalms. Uh, that the grief psalms are called laments. They show you how to work yourself through them with God and in God's presence. And here, Psalm eighty is one of the most beautiful models of that. And tonight, I just want to talk you through three steps. Okay? They say there are three, uh, seven stages of grief, and that, I think that's very true. But just think about these three steps with God help you work through the seven stages, and it doesn't happen quickly. Uh, but it can happen, as uh, the writer of this psalm models for us here. Uh, the three steps are this. We have to talk to God about our pain. You can see this in your worship bulletin. Talk to God about your pain. The second is, we got to learn how to talk to God about His character, even when we're hurting, even when we're in pain. And then lastly, we got to make it to a place where we talk to God about our own hearts. we got to talk to Him about our pain. we got to talk to Him about His character. And we've got to talk to God about what's going on in our own hearts. All right, let's look at it. First of all, we've got to talk to God about our pain. Did you notice how honest the psalm was that we read tonight? How, like, raw it was, actually? And even, maybe there were some parts of it. If, if you, I realize there are some things in there you might not have understood. Some, you know, words and phrases and place names that are not familiar to us. But if you understood what he was saying, you could see very clearly... He had some beef with God. (laughs) I mean, he's kind of bringing it all out in the open. He's not sure why God is doing quite what he's doing. Look there at verse uh, 1 and following. He starts out by saying, God, hear us, shepherd of Israel. God, we know you're the shepherd of, of your people. You've shepherded Israel from the beginning. You lead Joseph like a flock. You sit up there with the angels. You shine forth in front of all the different tribes of Israel, like Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. We know all this has happened but then look at verse 4 how long lord god almighty i know you're a shepherd but how long will you the shepherd seemingly treat us as if you don't care about us is what he basically goes on to say it's a shocking thing actually to read in the bible if you're not familiar with the bible you may wonder whether your eyes are telling you right, right? Is it really saying this? Lord Almighty, it says, will your anger smolder? How long will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? Literally, he says, how long is it going to be, God, that we pray and you throw back fiery coals in our face when we pray? That's literally what he's saying. We know you're a shepherd, but God, The circumstances of my life right now feel like every time I try to make my way to you, you rebuff me. You feed us, it says there, with with the bread of tears. We drink tears by the bowlful. I mean, just notice how how honest and raw he's being. He goes on there in verses 8 to to change up the, the example a little bit. And it's not shepherd and sheep, it's farmer and vineyard. He says, Lord, you you planted your people Israel like a vineyard. You took a little tiny vine out of Egypt when you rescued us from slavery. And you brought us into the land. And that little tiny vine became an earth-filling vine. It filled the whole land from sea to river. Uh, it It was a miracle, God. The vine grew bigger than the mountains. I mean, no vine grows bigger than the mountains, right? But he's saying, God, you took a little people, a tiny people, And insignificant people, and you made something great out of us, and yet, look at verse 12. He's honest again. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? You you went through all this trouble, God, to plant your people like a vineyard, but now the walls have fallen down. You've seemingly let it happen, and now everybody's just coming in. Even the wild hogs are coming in, and they're having their way with your vineyard. Do you notice how raw it is? How honest it is. Uh, Here's what one writer, the conclusion that he draws from this, and I think he's exactly right. He says here in this psalm, it seems God prefers an excess of boldness in prayer to an excess of caution. Did you hear that? It seems like, based on this psalm, and guys, there are many, many other examples of this in the psalms. This is not unusual. It seems that God prefers an excess of boldness in prayer to an excess of caution. Now, boldness is not just rebellion and flippancy, you know, trying to be disrespectful to God. But boldness is really coming to God as you are. That's what it says here in this psalm. We come to Him, this writer says, not as applicants. When we pray, we come instead as sons and daughters who are able to come to God And be absolutely honest with what's going on in our lives. God encourages honesty. And that's the first thing you and I need to do if we're feeling grief. We've got to be honest with God. Notice too, everything that he says in this psalm is in the plural. It's It's not a psalm about me and my and I. Did you notice? This psalm is about us and we and our. In other words, this is a community lament. And what that teaches us is that we cannot bear the burden of grief alone. No human being has the, the, the capacity, the strength, and even the, or the design from God to carry the burden of grief alone. Instead, we've got to be together together all together sharing our grief with one another mourning with those who mourn as the bible later goes on to say and then also coming together and being as raw and honest with god as we possibly can god this is how we feel this is where we are it seems like it seems like we know it's not true but it seems like you're not acting in accordance with your character in our lives it seems like something must have gone very very wrong Right now, our hearts are absolutely broken and torn into. That's what this writer is saying. That's what God is encouraging us to say. If you don't believe that, just think about this. Jesus, the Son of God, took one of these psalms on his lips during his life. One of these really raw, honest psalms. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he said famously, you could probably say it, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was honest. That was from the heart, that was raw, and that was a quote from Psalm 22, which is one of the, the paradigms, you know, one of the great examples of these kinds of honest, grief-laden prayers that you find all throughout the Psalms. And so tonight, I don't know how, how you are with that, like, are you good with being bold with God? You know, I know that sometimes I struggle with that personally, maybe you do. One great way is to pick up the psalms and pray them out loud. Just start there. I've been doing that lately. I I haven't known exactly how to start prayers, especially this week. And so I've been picking up the psalms, and just out loud I start praying them. And and I'm praying them out loud as if God is right there in the room with me, a friend, physically with me. I just pray them out loud, and and I encourage you to do that. Because here, remember, God does not prize caution over boldness. He already knows what's in our hearts, and He wants us to be honest about it. If you want to work your way through the various stages of grief, the very first place you've got to start is being real with Him. Being real with Him. I know all of us have people in our lives that we like to be honest with. Right? We like to be honest with certain people because we know they're welcoming and inviting, and they're able to embrace us and help us in our troubles. We know they're not going to cast us out. But then there are other people in our lives, aren't there, that we like to lie to? <laughs> It's like we we feel motivated to lie to those people because they seem so much better than we are and they also seem like they know they're better than we are. And so to tell the truth, we think, would mean their, their rejection. This psalm is telling us God is not that way. He's not that way. Later in the Bible it says God is high and holy and yet he dwells with those who are brokenhearted. He dwells with them. In their pain, wanting to hear from them. That's the first thing. We got to come to God, talking to Him about what's really going on, talking about our pain. But the second thing is we got to learn how to talk to God about His character. We got to talk to God about God. The psalm writer uh, goes on various times throughout the psalm as He's, it's almost like a fight going back and forth, if you notice that. He'll go into, Lord, where are you at? Why are you doing this? And then He'll swing back into God, your face. God we know you're the shepherd we remember how glorious it was when you established your kingdom through Israel he's remembering the works and acts of God in history he's remembering how great the face of God is there in verses 3 and 7 and and then at the end in verse 19 the face of God when it shines on us is able to save us you see what he's doing it's almost like he's fighting he's in a cycle he He gets really honest and raw about what emotion he's feeling in his heart, but then he fights his way toward a remembrance of who God has shown himself to be, who God has guaranteed that he is through his promises and his word. And that's the way, that's the way working through grief is. It takes a long time. It didn't take me very long to read Psalm 82. Yeah, it's just 19 verses, but it doesn't tell us how long it took Asaph to write it. It may have been months, it may have been years. I get the sense in a lot of the psalms like this that it may have took a lifetime, a lifetime, for some of the people who had these experiences to process their way in the presence of God through it. And so for us as a church, we've lost a dear friend. For us as a church, we, a lot of us are, are just not even really sure what to do with that. The best thing to do is not get out in your heart. Don't get out of the fight. Be honest. But don't, don't buy into the lie that just because you feel it makes it true. I can't buy into that lie. See, what we often do, and this is, I've said this a lot to y'all in different settings, but what we often do, and I do, I'm like the king of this, I view God in the light and the shadow of my circumstances rather than viewing my circumstances in the light or the shadow of God. I do that. Do you do that? We think God is good when things are good. God is bad when things are bad. And it's so easy to read life that way, right? This psalm is telling us, and and Asaph is modeling here what it looks like to cycle in your heart. Through that raw honesty, You, you ought to say that out loud to God sometime. You ought to tell God that you feel very confused, but right after it, make sure you follow it up with, but yet, Lord, I know it just doesn't fit. I know that there's something about you that you taught me and and there's ways that you've worked in my life and in our life that it really just helps me to understand uh, this a little bit better and I want to see it now not in the in light of the valley of the shadow of death I want to see it in light of the you are with me and so I will fear no evil if you were if you were at the memorial service yesterday I I said that I never realized until this week how deep the the gap could be Between yes, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and but I will fear no evil for you are with me. Just a little comma in the Bible between those two those two phrases, just a comma. And yet, isn't it true? Isn't it true that comma can feel like ages long, so hard to work through? Well, here's how you work through it: you get with God. God wants to hear us, God God opens up the door to heaven and he invites us in and he says, be honest with me and take remembrance. Remember me, that's what he told us when he gave us the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance, remember who I really am. Because in light of me, you're gonna be able to, you're gonna be able to put together the puzzle pieces you can't quite fit together when you're simply trying to see me through the lenses of what's going on in your life. I mean, imagine being a sheep, that's what that, that psalm is about. Psalm 23, and this one is about it too. Have you ever thought about that? God compares us to sheep instead of some other animal. He doesn't say, you are the lions of my pasture. He says, you're the sheep of my pasture. And I can think of a lot of different ways in which a sheep is different than a lion, but here's a couple. One, we're very weak compared to the lion. It's easy for us to be prey and it's not very easy for us to get prey. And also, we don't always think straight. I know that's the way the way sheep are. Can you imagine being a sheep whose shepherd is leading him, leading them, this whole flock through a valley of the shadow of death? Can you imagine what it would be like to be a sheep in that situation? Or when the shepherd picks up the sheep and administers medicine to them or dips them into a medicine in order to to keep them healthy and keep their their skin and, and everything right? Can you imagine what a sheep would feel? It must feel to the sheep like the shepherd is killing them. And I think there's something that God is teaching us in all these psalms that mention him as the shepherd and us as the sheep, and it's that sometimes it might seem like God's not there at all. Sometimes it might seem like he's killing you. Neither one of those are true. Even though you feel it, it's not true. Instead, remember. Fight on. Struggle to remember the character of God. Talk to Him about it. The last thing tonight that I want to say before we come to the supper is we've got to learn how to talk to God about our own hearts. This one might take a while to get to. In my experience, you know, and in the experience of when you look at a lot of the Psalms, Steps one and two, talking to God about your pain and talking about your character, that can cycle on and on and on for a very, very long time. In fact, there there's at least one psalm, Psalm 88, several ones ahead of this that never gets to step three. It just ends on the darkest note of all. And yet, even though it ends on a dark note, he's continuing to fight for the character of God. He's fighting for Perspective. But here in this psalm, he actually turns the corner and he begins to get into this third step, which is to recognize that in every trouble of our lives and everything that happens, whatever it is that's, that's hard, God has something to teach us about our hearts. God has something that he wants to do in our hearts. One uh, famous person once said that uh, in our pleasures, God whispers, you know, but in our pains, God shouts to us. In our pleasures, God whispers. He's speaking to you all the time. I don't know if you know that, but God is speaking to you all the time through his word, through his spirit. But sometimes in our pleasures, it just comes like a whisper, and it's easy, very easy to ignore. It's very easy to shrug off. But in our pains, it's as if God shouts. He's telling us something. Now, what I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying that something bad happens simply because you've done something wrong and God wants to correct you. It doesn't always work that way. So many examples in the Bible, and it's likely that this example here in Psalm 80 is just like that. Uh, People suffer horrible things, not because they've done some specific sin to deserve it, but simply just because we all live in a very broken, fallen world, and all of us, Christian or not, share in the bitterness of life. And yet, even though we might not be suffering because of a sin, we can know that there's something in this that God wants to teach us about our sin and about how our hearts can turn back to the Lord. That's what the the writer says. Look there at verses... 14 and following, all the way to the end of the psalm, starting in verse 14. He starts to think about his own heart. Return to us, God Almighty, he says. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over the vine, the root your right hand has planted. The sun you raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. Remember, the vine is the people. It's us. It was the Israelites then, and it's us now. Your vine is cut down right now. It's burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you've raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. You see that? Then we will not turn away from you. See, whatever, whatever was going on in his life and in the lives of the Israelites, whether it was punishment, for their sin or not, he was recognizing in his trouble there are ways in which my heart and our hearts have been turning away from you, God. And we're asking you to restore your blessing to us so that we won't turn away from you anymore. So that our hearts will be more in line with yours. That's what God does in our pains. He does it in in the good things in life, too. He's doing it all the time. He's he's working on bringing our hearts more into line with his. That's what verse 18 means revive us make it where our, our hearts will not turn away from you and then we will call on our name restore us he, he repeated that three or four times and that word restore means turn us around give us a u-turn <laughs> help us to make an about face and go in a new direction let your face shine on us again so that we might be saved. What is he saying? He's saying we can learn something deep in our hearts if we'll be honest with God. If we'll fight to talk to God about his character, which he's revealed to us in his word, and if we're open to hearing what he wants to teach us about our hearts and, and what it is about our steps that he wants to redirect or reguide. If you, if you don't believe it, just think again about Jesus. The, the Bible says this shocking thing in Hebrews chapter 5. It says that Jesus, although he was a son, with a capital S, right? Jesus was the son of God. We're just lowercase s sons. But it says, because he was the son, capital S, yet even though he was, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Think about that. Jesus didn't have to repent of anything. I do. You do. All of us do all the time. Jesus had nothing in him that needed to be corrected, right? He was perfect. And yet it says, even though he was a capital S son, he had to learn obedience. In order to get, you know, to work out into his life all the beauty and the glory that was there uh, in, in his perfect human life and in his life as the son of God. In order to work it all out, he had to walk through suffering to squeeze it out. Through suffering to bring it out and to set it in beautiful relief so that the wonderful light of God would shine through the man of sorrows, the one who is acquainted with suffering. And so that's why I think verse 17, if you'll look at that again, might be the key verse for us to land on tonight as we come to the Lord's Supper. That's the key verse, really. Because I realize, I mean, you may be thinking all kinds of things as you're listening to this. Maybe you're not feeling grief, that's okay. At some point, you probably will, and this is something to remember. Maybe you are, but you really don't feel like you can get past step one. Maybe you even feel step one is kind of weird. Maybe you're already fighting for step two, but you're having a really hard time conceiving of how you'll ever get to step three. Verse 17 is comfort to every one of our hearts. Look at what it says. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. Now it's pretty clear to me that he was talking about Israel still. Israel was the, the sheep. Israel was the vine. Israel was this man, uh, God, his right-hand man, God's right-hand man. And yet, it's impossible to read verse 17 as Christians and not think about the right-hand man of God. The one who came into the world, born of Israel, and yet he was the one to truly be the, the faithful Israelite, Jesus himself. He was the son of man that God Put to death and raised up for himself. Listen to what it says. Rest your hand on that man. Tonight, this is the comfort for every one of us. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're feeling, this is how you can know you can go to God in your grief. This is how we know we can come to the table tonight and receive there not a stiff arm of rejection, but receive an embrace. It's because God's hand of judgment was placed on the man at his right hand, Jesus. The son of man that God raised up for himself received the hand of judgment once and for all. Every bit of the the judgment that your sin and mine deserve was laid on Jesus so that now the hand of God could come on us, his people, but not as a hand of judgment, but as a hand of blessing. Now if that doesn't make us wanna be honest with God, (laughs) If that doesn't make us want to go to God and to recognize that even in this dark valley that we're in, we are seated with Him in heavenly places because of Jesus. And therefore, there is always, always, always hope. Isn't that right? Would you pray with me?